What's good? Good morning. Yeah. See, I had to rep this morning because I thought there'd be a lot more blue in the room today, but I don't really see that much. You know. <laughs> um, so I get the pleasure of closing this series out, transitioning to the next. I'm kind of digging the last two. I've been able to do that. And so, you know, this has been a good series, right? You know, Pastor Jim talking about rhythms and um, really stuff that's been kind of near and dear to his heart that we've been talking about really over years, right? Like uh, orphans to heirs. You guys like that one, right? Um, purpose, passion, pain, proficiency. Ooh. <laughs> Think I can get it? Oh, boy. You guys can see Jenga's not exactly my strong suit, right? But we, we talk about these rhythms, and it's interesting to me to think about the foundation of those things. And, and that's really what I want to get into this morning is, um, you know, I was listening to something by somebody, <laughs> and they were talking about people that have left the church. And what they said was, you know, I've stopped asking people why they left. And what I started doing was asking people about the grace of God in their lives. When's the last time you talked about that? When did you realize, like think about when you realized, oh, I'm a sinner. I, I, I cannot do this in and of myself. And, and that's a paradigm shift, right? It, it changes the dynamic of things because at that point, you have to answer the question what exactly salvation is and what it does in your life. And as I think about these things like rhythms, all these good things we wanna put in our lives, I think about how that foundation needs to be something rock solid. So Matthew chapter seven, right? Foolish man builds his house. Do you guys ever, like, you're little in church, you know, foolish man builds his house upon the sand. Nobody? Okay. <laughs> you know, somebody's singing it. I know you're singing it in your head. But it never really talks about what those houses looked like. They could have been exactly the same, you know? But the foundation is what kept those houses up. So take love, for example. Love is a really commonly used word, right? Love wins. All you need is love. But if the foundations of those things are different, the motivations of them are different, then what we have is two things where one is going to stand firm and the other is going to collapse because the, the rains came down and the floods came up. <laughs> Those of you that know the song, you laughed. And the house on the rock stood firm, but the house on the sand went splat. Why? Because the foundation was bad. 
because there, there wasn't something rock solid for it to sit on. So when we talk about the rhythms in these lives, when we talk about what a believer is and should be and should do, we need to think about what kind of firm foundation those things are on because the actions are awesome. But the foundation, if it's not set well, it's going to fall. So this morning, I want to get into what is it that keeps that foundation firm? What is it that keeps that foundation rock solid? The weight of anything is handled by the strength of the foundation. So what kind of foundation do we need to believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father? That's a bold claim. Really bold claim. Not a way, not a way that is coupled with another way, the only way. So any other way to eternity, according to that claim, is wrong. Mm. Or how about that his love and his ways are better than mine? That uh, there are things... <laughs> There are things that Carl would love to do, but Jesus in Carl does not want him to do. There are things that Carl would love to be a part of, but things that Jesus in Carl does not want him to be a part of. And so coupled with that, what about that what he wants for us is more important than what the world and sometimes the church wants for us? See, culture has a way of dictating behavior. But if that culture isn't kingdom culture, what behavior am I lining up with? Or what about to believe that we are to know what the gospel is, to know what preach the gospel and make disciples means and do it whether it's convenient or not. If I were to ask you in this room, what is the gospel? Can you answer? What does it mean to be saved? How does a person be saved? Are you mentoring other people? Are you deliberately leading people into what it looks like to live in this kingdom? Because that, that takes a foundational faith to do when it's convenient and when it's not? Or what about following him is for when we're being watched and behind closed doors? Uh-oh. When people see and when they don't. And finally, what about that loving our neighbor doesn't come with conditions? And so I, I think about this stuff and I think about how easy it is not to do it. How easy it is to leave it in the hands of this here. I want my friends, my family, my coworkers to know Jesus, so I'm going to invite them to church. And that's fine. Or you can invite them to Jesus. Because that's the Great Commission. 
So this morning, I want to talk about grace. And I, I want to split this up kind of into two parts. So grace for yourself and then grace for others. So we're going to focus in on grace for self. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 9, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all of eternity. You did nothing. It's not about your works. And I know that in a Western society, in a Western culture, when we're used to doing, 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 accomplishing, 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 that's a very difficult thing to understand. But it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about those works. And because if it was, then my foundation ebbs and flows with what I do or don't do. Is that what you want? Do you want a foundation that ebbs and flows based on your actions? Like, let's think about your actions, right? I don't want that. As much as I try to do that, I don't want that. Because one day I'm feeling good, you know, and you're like, Lord, yes. Like, I bring it back to this sun, but it's like golf is one of the most mentally frustrating things I've ever done in my life. Because one day, man, you hit that shot and you're like, I should call the PGA tour. <laughs> and literally the next shot, you're like, never again, never doing this again, going home. I don't care that it's only the second hole. <laughs> you know, like, and that's, that's our faith sometimes, right? There are days where it's like, God, we're like in sync. And the next day, you're like, wow, I'm stupid. <laughs> like, what on earth? Is that what you want your faith based on? No. And God's smart enough to know that, to not base the foundation of a recreated believer's life on you or on me. Example of that, Acts chapter 15, the council of Jerusalem. So Pharisees got saved, which is awesome, right? The problem is they're going around and they're like, listen, in order for you to really be saved, you need to be circumcised. And so Gentiles are like, oh, what is circumcision? Then they tell them and they're like, no. I don't want that. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> And so all of these church leaders come together and they're discussing this. So chapter 15, verse eight, and God knows, and God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put 
key in on this. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Generations and generations and generations of work that through the life of Christ, they realize this doesn't work when I'm involved. It doesn't work. When I'm involved, this does not work well. But we believe that we are saved through what? Come on, save through of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way as they are also. You see, grace, God's unearnable favor, puts all that is that well, puts all that is humanity into its proper perspective because it reminds us of a simple truth. You have the only role in your separation and no role in your salvation. That's what grace does. His unmerited favor, his kindness to you to give you what you were wholly incapable of earning. And that's what the disciples are saying. It's been earning, it's been earning, it's been trying, it's been trying, it's been trying. Where has that gotten us? To the point where we understand the need for a savior. A savior that can do what I am not capable of doing. Thank you, Ms. Pat. Can we talk about testimonies for a second? So we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Now, I, I want to challenge you on this because some of you are sitting in this room going, I don't have much of a testimony. I just have always believed. And, and what I think we do sometimes with that is we use that to step away from our God-given responsibilities as a believer. I just, I've just kind of always walked with Jesus. Good. <laughs> you know? But, but let's talk about this testimony thing for a minute. Regardless of the weight of your testimony, you have a mighty call upon your life, not primarily because of anything you have done or gone through, but because of everything that Jesus has done and gone through. I don't care how low you were or, or how high you were, figuratively or real, you know? <laughs> that, I'm not saying that doesn't matter, but what matters is that regardless of your background, the testimony is not where you came from, it's what Jesus did. And you believe, if you're sitting in this room and you understand the gospel, you believe, this is crazy, that God became this live this life without thinking what you think and doing what you do, then was murdered torturously, having all the opportunity to go, I don't want this no more, man, <laughs> but didn't to 
come back from the grave, go into heaven creating a pathway for reconciliation for you and I. That junk's nuts. But we believe it. And so the testimony is not, I was so low. Or I've always believed. The testimony is that my God did what my God did. That's the testimony. That's how we overcome. And when you embrace that, not where you came from, it frees us to do what God has asked us to do. Grace for everyone else. Man, I, I love the Old Testament. Do you guys love the Old Testament? Yeah, look at you. Y'all are like, what? No. <laughs> the Old Testament is crazy. I know I've said this before, but New Testament's kind of like utopia. It, you know, like this is how you live this Christian life, you know? And then like Old Testament is like old girl stuff, a tent peg through my man's temple while he was asleep. Like I saw that on the news last week. Like that's life. Old Testament is life. You know, like you read the Old Testament and you're like, I had a cousin that did that, you know? <laughs> so I, going through the Old Testament, uh, you know, you, you run into prophets, right? And these prophets are people that have powerful calls on their lives. But it was powerful not because of what they were doing or not doing at the time, it was powerful because what God revealed that was already true, that was already happening. So I, I want to take a look at Isaiah. I'm going to get into a lot of scripture here. I'm not going to apologize for that. I just want to front load it. Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 13. In the year of King, of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. This is Isaiah talking. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. He said, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. What? Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until cities are devastated and without inhabitant, houses are without people, and the land is utterly 
desolate. The Lord has removed men far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet there will be a 10th portion in it and it will again be subject to burning like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is a stump. Let me tell you what's happening here. We don't know whether Isaiah was just chilling on the couch. He's just like in a field, looking up at the stars. And then boom, he's in heaven. And this scene is chaotic. He looks and there's a throne and there's smoke filling and there's winged beasts flying all over the place, screaming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And it's like, yo, and he went down, you know, like what is happening right now? Humanity came face to face with heaven and said, I am not worthy of this. And heaven pointed out a deficiency in him. And then heaven took care of the deficiency. And then he says, okay, I'm gonna, I, I, I need somebody to go. And Isaiah's like, I will go. And what's the message that God gives him? Yes, go. And they're not gonna care about anything that you have to say. Yes, go. Nobody's gonna listen to you. It's literally the definition of the person standing on the street corner preaching Hey, and you're like, I'm just trying to get to Macy's. <laughs> Do people go to Macy's anymore? I don't know. Amazon killed all that stuff. Boo. <laughs> you know, your stock says yay, but okay. <laughs> what kind of foundation did he need? to know that this message was gonna be heard by no one? What kind of foundation did he need to know that he was gonna go and preach and there was gonna be a hostile reaction? That nobody was gonna turn, that nobody was gonna go, you know what, you're right. What kind of foundation that he, did he need, one that only the father could give. Because if it was in and of himself, if it was just the cultural thing to do, if he went to the synagogue because that's just what mom and dad had always done, those foundations ebb and flow. But the call of God upon his life was given by God, sustained by God, and had God as its foundation, nothing in and of him. Ezekiel is a long one. Let's go. Now above the expanse, there was over their heads something resembling a throne, like lapis lazuli. Don't you just like saying that? Lapis lazuli. In appearance, it's an emerald. And on that which resembled a throne, high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like a glowing metal and looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward, I saw something like fire and there was a radiance around him. As the appearance of the rainbow in the cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face 
and heard a voice speaking. Then he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. As he spoke to me, the spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Then he said to me, son of man, I'm sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. I'm sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, as for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words, though thistles and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. But you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. How many times are you going to tell them that they're rebellious, right? Now you, son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. Then I looked and behold, a hand was extended to me and lo, a scroll was in it. When he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and back and written on it were lamentations, mourning and woe. Like, oh my gosh, that was a downer. So Ezekiel, again, we don't know, like, is he in deep sin? Is he a follower of Yahweh? We, we, we don't know. But what we know is that this crazy heavenly thing, like pillars of animals and, and wheels and going around, like it looks like the Ferris wheel from hell. He gets this vision, right? And then the Lord comes to him and, and he just like, oh my gosh, again, hits his knees because he realizes, I have a deficiency. Something is not right when I come into the presence of God. And God has to lift him up. The Spirit of God entered him and lifted him up. It was okay. It's okay. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, I'm sending you to this rebellious house. And they're not going to listen. And Ezekiel, as a matter of fact, man, he has some crazy, like, hey, uh, I want you to go outside. And I want you to lay on your side on your front lawn for a year. Now, if that was us, it'd be like, I need to see someone. Somebody making an appointment with a therapist. <laughs> you know, like if you start thinking that. And so through ridicule, through mocking, through all of this stuff, there were people that would not listen. What does it take? What foundation did he have to have in order to know that these people were not going to listen to him and still preach the message? What foundation do you have to have to know that there are going to be things that come against these rhythms that we've been talking about the last two months that's so good for us to do? New Year's resolutions, anyone? This cannot be about convenience. And it cannot be about you and your actions. It cannot be about my strength and my confidence and my whatever. 
the life of a believer operates on a totally different economy than everything else. You want more of the Holy Spirit? You need to realize it's not about you. You want to overcome that sin? Not about you. The woman at the well, Jesus and the woman of Samaria. John 4, 1 to 42. I'm not going to read all that. <laughs> but he comes face to face with this woman. And, and there's a back and forth between them in this. And, and Jesus reveals something to her. Like you, not the, the man, you've had five husbands before this and the man that you're with isn't your husband now. And you can like, I don't know if this was a sexual thing. I don't know if it was a property thing. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that humanity came face to face with the father and something was revealed. And so she goes off. Like he's, he's you know, the well and, you know, our people and your people, whatever. And you know, when Messiah comes, he'll reveal all of this. And he goes, it's me, <laughs> I'm him. And she's like, what? And she goes, and she goes, let me tell you all about a man that told me everything I had ever done. And they come and there's a certain point, I think it's like 41, 42, where they say to her, we believe not because of what you said anymore, but because of what we've seen but they wouldn't even have had that opportunity if a person didn't come face to face with Jesus, realize that they were a sinner, realize that there was a deficiency that only he could fulfill. And then she did what? She went and told. She went and spread the gospel. See, the grace of God in our lives puts the world in its proper perspective because it helps us having an imperishable foundation come face to face with the depravity in ourselves and of the world. If being a part of this, ah, no, let's do this. So I'm a freshman at Liberty University and I'm listening to this guy preach. You know, I'm a youth major at the time, youth ministries major. So you'd like to think I was a believer. <laughs> and I'm listening to this guy preach and he's talking and he's talking and this truth hits me. That's not you. That's not you. What he's talking about, that gospel, that's not you. And it's like, I'm at, I'm, I'm at one of the largest Christian colleges in the world literally as a major going into ministry and I'm feeling in my heart, you're not a believer. I grew up in church. I was there every Sunday, every Wednesday for youth. Every time there was any kind of event, I was at the retreats, I went on missions trips. I did all the stuff, all the stuff. My parents were believers. All the stuff, man. Sword drills. Any of you remember that? You know, like, like everybody raise your Bible. First John 
one five. Then you show them the first one, you know? Y'all don't know that. I went to a, a, a private Christian school from the time I was in kindergarten until eighth grade. I knew the stuff, but I didn't know the stuff. And every time I had doubts, it was all Carl. I remember you walked down the aisle when you were four years old. It's like, oh, I don't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. But four years old, okay, I guess. And then I came face to face with the reality that I need the grace of God because church was a home for me to exercise my talents and be loved by other people. And that's fine and that's how it should be except my foundation was not Christ for it. My foundation was praise. So you can be in this room and, and Please, like, I love you so much, and that's why I'm saying this. I don't care that you're in this room. That means nothing in the scheme of your salvation. I don't care that you're at the stuff. I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter in the scheme of your salvation. What matters is that you came face to face with the Father and understood that you were a sinner and there was a deficiency in your life that you had no power to take care of yourself. That's what matters. And then everything grows from that, not from your works. I'm so glad that some of you have found a home in this place, but if you can't express the time that you were a sinner and that the grace of God came and took care of that, you have other questions to ask yourself. I'm so glad that your family was full of believers and that this is just something you've already done. But if you can't express the grace of God in your life, you have other questions to ask yourself. Questioning my salvation, you're right, I am because this day and age, it needs to be questioned because our walk with Jesus is not one that's always easy. You know that. And so if this is the, the, the foundation of my life, I'm gonna be like this. Stand your feet. Linden Campus. Pastor Jason, I don't know, is this the camera I'm looking at? Okay. I know you've been waiting for a fist bump from Pastor Jim for forever, so I'm just going to do that. You give me that fist bump right there. I love you. Don't say I never did nothing for you. We'll see you guys. I, yeah, I just, that's, that's my story. I don't know what your story is. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what your, the point that I'm trying to make is that our foundation, whether for these incredible rhythms or the power of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives or, or just you being able to exercise the fruit. Do you wanna be a little more loving? You wanna have a little more self-control? <laughs> You wanna be a little more kinder? That's not done in and of your own power. Foundationally, 
It's done because you came face to face with heaven and you saw I'm a sinner. And, and it's not about being bad to, to being good. It's about being dead to alive. The, the bad to good happens, sure, but we can't, we can't relegate Christianity to a moral argument. It's not. It's about dead to life. And you and I are brought into reconciliation with the Father through one way, Jesus Christ. And that imperishable foundation helps you deal with the sin that tries to get you off track, with the ideologies that try to permeate this church, with the politics that try to take over, with all the arguments and all the gossip and all the hidden bitterness and offense that we carry against people in this room and outside of it. And you realize that that kind of stuff takes us off mission, that a world that's dying and going to hell out there goes faster because we don't have it handled in here. So let's handle it. You forgive because you've been forgiven. You are not offended because there was no offense. Jesus looked at, forgive them for they know not what they do. If that was me, I'd have been like, black smoldering thing there, take them out, get me off this thing. <laughs> you know, like. But there was no offense at the cross. Who are you to hold offense? Who am I? I don't, if we have prayer, I don't know. If you're not a believer in this room, if you're listening to all of this and you're like, oh, I don't know. Man, there's some awesome people that I know would love to pray with you and for you. Um, we believe that Jesus came, lived a sinless life, was murdered, rose again, so that you could have eternal life. That's powerful. That's what he did, not you and I did, what he did. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Where would any of us be without it? Not immoral or moral or whatever, but dead. And because of it, we're alive and have access to your spirit. So God, I pray in the name of Jesus first for the ones in here that are yours. I pray that the gifts of the Holy Spirit would flow through them. I pray that the fruit of the Holy Spirit would be active in their lives, Lord. That there would be love and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control that flows from them to a world that desperately needs all of those things. God, I pray against bitterness and offense. I pray that if there's anything that a believer has against another person in this room, I pray that the only debt we would carry would be the unending debt of love. Lord, I pray for the ones that aren't a believer in this room. Father, I, I pray that 
the goodness of who you are would just come alive in them, that they would realize that there's a defi- they're dead apart from you. But, but there's a way. There's reconciliation through your son, Jesus Christ. And so I pray if there's any in here that don't know you, that they would come to know you as Lord and as Savior. And not only that, I pray for people to disciple them in their lives, that they would grow closer to you, not closer to a culture or closer to an ideology, but closer to you, Father. Thank you for these amazing people. I love them so much. You love them so much more. So it's in your name we ask. Amen. Thank you, guys. I love you all. You're wonderful people. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday.